0: Father, we do come before you, and we do praise you, and we do thank you for your tremendous grace, mercy, and love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you that you sent your only Son to pay the penalty for our sins. And Father, we thank you that you reveal this wonderful truth in your glorious gospel, And, Lord, you use that to bring people unto yourself through Christ. And I thank you that you use your word also to grow us in respect to salvation, that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of your Son as believers. I pray you do that right now. Lord, help us to have right hearts before you, that we might receive your word and allow it to do its work in us by your Spirit. Lord, we thank you for this time. We commit it to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. well if you knew a storm was coming you would probably prepare for that right if you knew a flood was coming you would probably prepare for that flood if you knew there was a burglar in your neighborhood you'd heard all the reports you probably would be on the alert you would have a heightened awareness well what about spiritual things today we're going to be reminded that there are dangers to the church such as false teachers, that there will be those who will rise among you, as Peter will share. So how should we prepare for that real possibility? Now, as Bob had shared before, we don't focus on false teachers, but we want to give it the weight that the Word of God gives it so that we are prepared for what God is warning us against. So today we're going to see how we can, as believers, avoid the danger that false teachers pose. As we continue our study in Second Peter, and Lord willing, we're going to finish chapter 2 today. So would you turn in your Bibles to Second Peter, and we're going to be looking at verses 17 to 22. 17 to 22. Now the context we have seen so far, the Apostle Peter is writing to believers, those who have a like faith, a like saving faith in Jesus as he and the other apostles do. A true faith in Jesus Christ. And now, what is this book about? Well, simply, it's about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And within that, it's about being protected from threats to that growth in Jesus Christ. Now, indeed, in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 and verse 8, in the very last verse of this book, we have the theme about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, Jesus Christ. And you might remember in chapter 1 that we have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him. We have His precious and magnificent promises. Tremendous. We have the Word of God, everything we need for our relationship with Jesus Christ. It is through the Spirit-empowered Word that we uh, grow in our relationship with Jesus It is by his word that we are equipped for everything that this life has to offer to us in the context of walking with Jesus and our relationship with the living God. And within that reality, we see that we are called to obey or to act upon his word in the context of faith as believers. We are to do it by his power and strength, by faith. And as we grow, there should be some things that are manifest in the lives of believers. And if they're not, that means we're useless and unfruitful in our relationship with Jesus. We saw in chapter 1 that we should all be increasing the sense in moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. That all of these things should be manifest in the life of a true believer. And if they are, we will be useful and fruitful in our relationship with Jesus. And Peter shared that he was ready to remind us of these things, that it was right to remind us of these things, knowing that his time on the earth was short and the Lord had made it known that he was going to go home to him soon. And then we saw the absolute reliability and surety of the scriptures. That uh, it is absolutely sure over human experience. Even an experience that God brought the apostle Peter on the mountain of transfiguration. Indeed, we have now the scriptures made more sure. The written word, more sure. graffe, the word of God. And we do beautifully to heed the word of God. When you're a true believer and you obey God's word by his power and strength, it is a beautiful thing. We do beautifully. We do well to heed the word of God. And then we saw Peter made it clear that believers know something first and foremost at the end of chapter 1, that no prophecy of the written word scripture becomes of one's own personal interpretation why? Because no prophecy ever came about by an act of human will, but men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. It's God's Word. It didn't come from men, but God brought it forth through men by His Spirit. And then in the end of chapter one, we see that within that, having to heed and do well by beautifully heeding His Word, He moves into chapter two where there's a contrast. And that's what it goes on in chapters two and three, that there are threats to our relationship with Jesus Christ. There are threats to his word, and they are subtle threats, but yet they are very dangerous. And so after admonishing and establishing the truth of God's word, the very means which we have everything we need pertaining to life and godliness by faith through his spirit, Peter moves on to reveal that there are threats to our relationship with Jesus. And that's what chapters two and three are about. And we are going to, today, Lord willing, finish chapter 2. But we need to recognize all of chapter 2 is one unit. So I'm going to be referring to what we've seen up to the point where we're going to be in our passage today. So again, if you're not there already, turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 17 to 22. Now I'm going to read our passage. And I'm going to not go back to verse 1 as I had planned because it's pretty long. But I'm going to be referring to those portions. Well, let's start in verse 17. These are springs without water and mists driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved for speaking out arrogant words of vanity. They entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in air, promising them freedom why they themselves are slaves to corruption for by what a man is overcome by this he is enslaved. For if after they had escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they again are they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit. And a sow, after swashing, returns to wallowing in the mire. So, how can we avoid the dangers that false teachers pose? Well, remember what we saw before, that God has revealed that they're going to come, that they are going to be among us. We see that in chapter one, that, uh, or ch- chapter two, verse one. They will arise among you. They will be among you. And the last time we were together in Second Peter, we saw that God revealed their internal characteristics, which we cannot see, to warn us about what is really going on. And today we're going to see their methods on how they do things so that we can spot them. So with that in mind, let's review what we saw in terms of uh, this portion last time. Look back in chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. He's speaking to believers in the church who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even to the point, we saw, of denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And then there's going to be damage, isn't there? And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit who? You, this is believers, they will exploit you. Remember we saw that word, their their, their business is to exploit With false words or plastic words, moldable words. Their judgment is from long, their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. You've got everything you need in Jesus Christ through the Word of God by His Spirit as you trust in Him. But there's going to be threats to that. There's going to be threats to your walk with Jesus Christ and they will come in among you. And you'll remember we saw in verses 4 to 10 that there was an explanation concerning the reality that these, the judgment of these false teachers doesn't pass God by, that God understands and sees what they're doing, and their judgment is sure. And then he gave three examples of previous judgments that show that people do not get away with anything. In verses 4 to 10, we saw that he had the judgment upon those angels who had sinned, those fallen angels, and a previous judgment on the world of the ungodly by a worldwide flood. And then a previous judgment as an example in Sodom and Gomorrah. Having delivered righteous Noah and his family and respectively righteous Lot. And then we had a summary. Look at verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Hey, if God has already brought forth these examples of judgment, don't worry about these guys. God is reserving them for judgment. And notice what he says, verse 10. It's especially those who indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires and despise authority. That's really a summary of these false teachers, which he's going to explain in a minute. And so if you were with us in the last time, we saw that he gave us then an in-depth explanation of what's going on on the inside of those false teachers that we can't see, but we need to know to be warned. And then, as I shared today, we'll see their methods in which they do the things they do. Notice in the middle of verse 10, daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. False teachers indulge in the, the flesh a little earlier and their corrupt desires, and they despise or look down upon spiritual authority as exemplified by their viewpoint of fallen angels and how they just speak towards them and at them. And even Michael the archangel wouldn't dare pronounce a railing judgment, a railing judgment, but he said, The Lord rebuke you. The Lord is sovereign over that. There is a despising of authority and there is a reviling. There is a reviling and a reveling in sin. They actually love what they do they suffer verse 13 suffering wrong is the wages is doing wrong they're going to be they're going to suffer harm but they love what they do look in the middle of verse 13 they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime they come in among you and they count it as joy in their lives to deceive the body of christ it's pretty 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 uh pretty horrible when you look at it They are stains and blemishes in light of the believers who are the saints. They are stains and blemishes, reveling, verse 13 the end, in their deceptions. They receive great joy in deceiving, in deceiving. We need to recognize what's going on the inside of these people who are pretending to be followers of Jesus Christ, who are arising up and then introducing things that are evil. And he says here, their stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. They are, as Jude would say, hidden reefs in your love feast. They're with you, but it's like a reef that you're going to hit with your ship and you're going to go down. He says, verse 14, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. This is what's going on in their hearts. Enticing or luring, as we'll see today, unstable souls. There are those in the body of Christ who, from forgetfulness or sin or, or a lack of understanding of the Word of God, we're putting that aside, focusing on the things of earth, who are unstable in their walk. And these people go after those people. He says, enticing unstable souls. Having a heart, trained gumnazo in the gym of greed. Accursed children. They're not children of God, they're children of a curse. And they're wicked men and women who delight in their wrongdoing. And it's hard for us to reckon the reality that people could actually be that way and say they follow Jesus. Could be that way and acknowledge the Lord and Savior Jesus, as we're going to see in a little bit. They acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior, by the way. But actually, they receive joy out of doing evil. This is what they live for. This is what they enjoy. This is what they delight in. Very sad. They delight in deceiving believers, end of 13. They enjoy introducing destructive heresies, verse 1. Luring unstable souls, verse 15. Enticing, enticing the arrogant, empty flesh with fleshly words, verse 18. They enjoy and delight exploiting with false words, verse 3. They receive a perverse delight in it. They're sneaky. They cannot, they do it undercover. And they cannot stop sinning. They have hearts trained in greed, a curse of children. And they desire to make money, power, position, sensuality, whatever it might be. The benefit they get having people follow them is why they do it. They love, like Balaam did, the wages of unrighteousness. They love the paycheck they get for doing evil. That's what's going on on the inside, which we cannot see. And you say, well, how are we going to spot them? Well, from there, we can't spot them, can we? They're hidden, Right? But God is gracious to show us in his word how we can spot them. To give us very simple statements that describe their M.O., how they do things that we can spot then and then identify so that we can stay away. And that's what we're going to look at today, where we're going to see God reveals their deceptive and dangerous methods. Indeed, these deceptive and dangerous false teachers portray themselves who will quench your spiritual thirst yet bring nothing but bondage. Look at verse 17 as we start our passage. Let me just take a second. It says in verse 17, These are springs without water and mists driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves to corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. So we're going to see the characteristics on how we can spot them. First of all, we're going to see their dangerous and deceptive methods pictured. We're going to have two illustrations that God gives that we can understand, which help us identify these false teachers. Illustrations are metaphors, and then there is an explanation concerning those illustrations. Notice again, verse 17: They are springs without water and mist driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Two illustrations, two metaphors that we can understand. The first one, notice: they are springs. Without water. This is a simple but poignant illustration. Notice the term spring. It speaks just of that. It is a source of water, not a container of water. A well would be a container of water. A spring is a source of water. A spring without water is no spring at all, by the way. They are springs. They appear to be that which is a source of, in the context here, spiritual nourishment and satisfaction to fulfill your spiritual thirst. But ultimately, notice he says, they are springs without water. They are springs without water. This is one way you'll be able to spot them. They look like you're going to be fed the truth of God, the Word of God and built up, but you ultimately are not. It looks like you're going to get a wonderful meal concerning Jesus Christ and your walk with Him. And ultimately, after all the big words are done, there's nothing of substance underneath. This is the identifying marks here. They are springs without water. They are frauds. How can a spring have no water? It can't. It's not really a true spring, is it? But it appears to be one. It appears to be one. And notice we know that the springs without water refers to their false teaching. Remember, this whole passage is about false teachers will arise among you. So we saw earlier in chapter 1, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, things that are contrary to the truth of God and the person of Jesus Christ. They will secretly introduce that. Verse 3, they will exploit you with false words. The word exploit is do business. They will do business, their business, with plastic words. They're going to maneuver their words to do their wickedness. And we see also in verse 18, as we'll see in a moment, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity. Arrogant words of vanity. They are those who supposedly represent the Lord. They are those who appear to be bringing forth abundant water like a spring, but yet in reality there is no water. It is There is none at all. They bring forth nothing. They will not quench your spiritual thirst in your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is one of the major identifying marks of false teachers that will arise in the church. We can spot this, by the way, and we're going to see more explanations concerning it. Major identifying mark. They may have words that are grandiose and appear to feed your your spiritual thirst. Speaking of Jesus They even, as we will see, promise you freedom, speaking of freedom from sin. That's what we want. We want to be set free. We don't want to be walking in bondage. We want to follow Jesus. They promise you freedom, but they are spiritual frauds. You see, God's word is that which he uses to grow in respect to salvation. First of all, we come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ through the gospel. And then secondly, we grow in respect to salvation through his word. We have everything we need pertaining to life and godliness, and these frauds make a show as though they're going to give it to you a spring full, but there's nothing ultimately there. One pastor says it looks like a spring, but it has no water, and therefore it's not a spring in reality. They are springs with no water. They present themselves as those who will bring forth spiritual water to quench your thirst. Obviously, the Word of God. They present themselves as if you're going to get the Word of God fully, and yet it doesn't get delivered to you, or it gets twisted or lessened or whatever it might be, as we'll see in a moment. These false teachers deceptively appear to be those who overwhelmingly nourish. Think of a spring. It's bubbling up with water. That's what they look like. But because they're not bringing the word or they're not rightly dividing it, they're twisting it or lessening it or omitting it, you actually get nothing ultimately. And notice, not only does he describe them as springs without water, he also describes them as, verse 17, mists driven by a storm. We have a slightly different metaphor, but it's, it's close, but it is different. The term mist speaks of a low cloud. You could think of fog, Right? You know, if you've got a low cloud and you're in fog, you're going to get maybe a little bit of mist on you, a little dew, it's a very small amount of moisture, right? It's just a little mist, right? And he says they are mist driven by a storm. The term driven means just driven, that's exactly what it means. And the term storm, you could translate it violent storm or tempest, even hurricane. Think of a violent storm with the winds and the, and the rain. and It's just pouring rain and it's violent and the winds are throwing things all over the place. Think of a hurricane. The picture you have is a violent storm that should be bringing forth a deluge of water, but yet you're getting only a tiny mist on you. That's all you get. And yet the, you know, this illustration also points to the damage that they do. It's like a storm. Destroys you spiritually, and all you have is this little mist of the realities concerning Jesus Christ. There are mists driven by a violent storm. One pastor writes, These false teachers were like violent storms producing theatrics, noise, motion, something to watch, but nothing profitable happens. In fact, their storms ultimately bring destruction to their adherents. Oh, how tremendous to see and hear these folks! They are very impressive but there is no water from the spring and there is no rain from the clouds. People are thirsting today for the word of God and yet they're not, it is not being given to them. And the sad part is they actually think they are being fed. When you talk to people who've been caught up in this, they'll tell you, I feel like I'm being fed, but they're not. They're not. It's false. It's false. They are springs without water Miss, driven by a storm. Bob read this earlier in the book of Jude. Look in Jude just up a little bit right before Revelation. The book of Jude. It's, it's a somewhat parallel uh, book to Second Peter, by the way. And you'll find in the letters of, of Paul and Peter and here Jude and their, their, the, these, these last things that they feel they need to say by the Spirit of God are warning you about these threats. Jude, verse 12. These are men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves clouds without water, carrying along, carried along by the winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, and the waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. The reality is they appear to be that which will bring forth the word of God. But they don't. But they don't in reality. You know, and God doesn't miss a beat. He declares in Jude, as we just read, but also here that black darkness has been reserved. They're going to get their up and comings. You don't need to be searching them out. Just stay away from them. God will take care of them. He says in our passage, verse 17, these are springs without water and mist driven by a storm for whom, speaking of these false teachers, the black darkness has been reserved. It has already been reserved and that reservation still is there. That's the tense of the Greek word. Black darkness. You remember we see the context of this chapter is judgment. It's judgment, isn't it? Look uh, back in verse 9 of chapter 2. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Especially those who indulge in the flesh in the flesh and its corrupt desires and despise authority. Black darkness has been reserved. Now hell is described in two ways: as this fire that isn't quenched, right? And black darkness. Black darkness. It is reserved for them. Just like God had destroyed the entire earth of the flood, He had punished the angels that had sinned back in Noah's time, and He had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, reducing it to ashes. Their judgment is sure. Their judgment is sure. Whereas they, we're gonna see they have turned away from Jesus. They have known the truth of Jesus as Lord and Savior. They haven't been saved, but they've known the truth, and they have turned away. Like a dog that returns to his own vomit. One who goes back to their nature. And thus, hell is reserved for them. They give the appearance that you're going to be spiritually fed in Jesus. You get a show, but yet when all is said and done, it's really nothing to quench your spiritual thirst to grow you in Jesus. But yet you feel as though you have been. There are frauds. They're deceptively appearing to overwhelmingly nourish, but yet they do not. And they are on their way to hell. They're on their way to hell. Now notice in verse 18, we have an explanation concerning these two illustrations. Notice he says in verse 18, for he's explaining, he's going to explain some real realities concerning these illustrations. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. Promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves to corruption. For why, by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. He's explaining what he, from his illustrations. Springs without water, mist driven by a storm, on these people reserved with a spot in hell reserved for them. And he says, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice. This is how you can spot them. This is how you can spot them. They continually, habitually speak forth arrogant words of vanity and they entice. The term arrogant speaks of an excessive weight or size, something that's puffed up excessively. Vanity speaks of that which is empty, empty. They have inflated speech that comes forth out of their mouths, which is ultimately empty, springs without water. This is how you can spot false teachers. They do a lot of talking about the Bible, about Jesus, biblical stuff, but you actually never get fed. They can talk concepts spiritually all day long that are true, but you never get corrected, trained, reproved in the Word of God. You never get fed. You can go to your average little 34-minute evangelical pep talk these days and spot this. Believers, true believers, being held captive, being led astray. Those who are who are unstable in their walk with Jesus, being led astray, thinking that they are being fed. These teachers blow out of their mouths these arrogant spiritual concepts with no reality underneath. They speak spiritually seductive words molded to manipulate you. Molded to make you think you're getting fed when you're not. You think you got fed. And if you talk to people that are going and placing themselves under these type of people, they'll say, man, I was really fed. And if you listen to what they said, there was nothing there. It was empty. It was empty. Little spiritual ditties about following Jesus rather than the truth of God training and convicting us and correcting us and teaching us. Notice they provide what appears to be a grand spiritual meal, which is actually nothing. And notice the term here, they entice, they entice. The word speaks of luring or literally baiting. They put bait out for you. Just like someone who is catching an animal in a trap or, or fishing for something, there's bait. They have a reason what they're doing. They're trying to catch you. We saw the entice unstable souls baiting them, right? Or luring them, same word. They deliberately mold their words to lure you into following them and their teaching and thus providing them wicked gain, power, money, lust, position, whatever they get, the the wages of unrighteousness from you. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice, now notice he says, in two spheres, by or in, by fleshly desires, by sensuality. Here's what you can spot in their teaching. It's empty, but it seems like it's tr- a lot, but it's empty. But they use certain things to entice you. Now you think by fleshly desires, he's talking about, you know, uh, immorality and sexual things. Well, probably not specifically because these people want freedom from sin. They promised them freedom from sin. These are believers who, who don't want to go that way anymore, but they barely escaped the error they used to live in before Christ. They lure by fleshly desires. Fleshly desires. Now, what is he talking about here? There are a lot of passages about fleshly desires, and a lot do have to do with immorality, no doubt about that. Let's take a look at a few. Look back at First Peter chapter one, verse fourteen. 1 Peter one fourteen. This is speaking to those who've been born again to a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts or desires. When we see the word desires or lusts, it's the same basic word, which, which were yours in ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, behold yourself in all your behavior. And he goes on saying, be holy because he is holy, right? The command. You see, before we were saved. We used to live by our desires. Certainly that would manifest in immorality, things like that, but we lived by our will. They were our fleshly desires. Not always gross immorality. Notice now in First Peter chapter four, go up a little farther in First Peter chapter four. Certainly it will manifest in those things, and we see that. But underneath it it's just God's will or your will, right? 1 Peter 4, therefore, verse 1, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Verse 2 in the explanation. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts or desires of man, but for the will of God. And we know that certainly our desires come forth in our deeds, right? The deeds of the flesh are evident. You can look at Galatians chapter 5 when the apostle paul is talking to the corinthians in first corinthians 3 he says they're still fleshly well what's their how are they fleshly well one of the ways they were fleshly was they were focused on people and not on christ i'm of paul i'm of apollos i'm of this they were elevating they were prideful that's fleshly sometimes false teachers appeal to your pride your pride fleshly desires so then our fleshly lusts have to do with how we used to think before we were redeemed. And it can be manifest in a myriad of ways. Certainly gross immorality, absolutely. But also pride, self-sufficiency, justified anger, idolatry, worldly wisdom, leaning on our own understanding. Those things can be peppered into those messages to make you follow your desires. But think you're following Jesus. Jesus. Before we came to Christ, we were self-reliant. We were not yielding to Christ. We were not depending upon His grace. We were not functioning by His power. And they will tempt you to do the same. But have the stamp on it, you're following Jesus. There are those who will tickle your ears with what you want to hear. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. They will make your ears tingle with what you and your flesh wants to hear. And they'll... Put it in a way that makes you feel as though you're following Jesus and doing the right thing. That spring is abundantly being provided, but there's nothing there. 2 Timothy chapter 4, in Paul's last words, he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. When pastors don't do that, they are sinning against God in this solemn charge, by the way preach the word be ready in season out of season reprove rebuke and exhort with great patience and instruction in our flesh we don't want to be reproved we want something that makes us feel good about jesus right that's fleshly desires rather than being reproved and built up right reprove and re- reprove he says here uh, and rebuke and exhort with great patience and instruction for The time will come when they will not endure. They can't sit under sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers, what? In accordance to their own desires. They're not accumulating teachers that they can go out and just do gross immorality. It's according to their desires, right? And they will turn their way their ears are from the truth aside to myths or stories stories go to churches these days all you hear stories all day long and they make you feel good about jesus but it's stories it doesn't feed you at all you leave and there's nothing ultimately spiritually that has worked in your heart what do these people look like in in real time i can think of some family radio broadcasts that exemplify this pretty well They claim to be ministries of the Lord. They speak the Bible verse here and there, but ultimately the wisdom they give to the resolution of your spiritual and relational problems is worldly wisdom that applies to your flesh, fleshly desires, fleshly desires. There are those who appeal to your intellect on the extreme reform side. They appeal to your desires to think and figure things out. There are those who appeal to your fleshly desire to be healed physically if you're going through certain situations. There are those who entice you to look for an experience in Jesus. That's your fleshly desire, by the way. A worship experience. A word from God apart from God's word, by the way. What does it look like in the church? You hear a lot about Jesus as Lord and Savior. You hear a lot about Christianity, morality, but you're never fed the word of God that convicts your personal sin. You can go to church and be in your own desires, living your life your own way and still be okay with Jesus. There are springs without water who lure you in your flesh to think you're okay when you're not. When you're not. The bait these false teachers lay pulls on your own desires to get out of a difficult situation, to ease the pressure, to fulfill your needs, they quote it in a biblical way, they bait and lay the trap based on your own desires. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires. And then he knows he says by sensuality. They bait their traps also in the context of sensuality. And we wonder, what does that mean in this context? Well, obviously it's not gross immorality because they're promising you freedom from sin, by the way. Notice back in verse 2, And many will follow their sensuality. That's their brand of sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. We saw this term sensuality speaks of licentiousness or without restraint. We know in Jude uh, verse 4 that many have crept in unnoticed, even turning the grace of God into licentious, licentiousness by using God's grace to give you a license to be sinful. It's okay, right? It's a license to not be obedient to God's word in certain areas. That's what they do. They secretly and subtly turn God's grace, the forgiveness of sins, into a license to be disobedient. It's subtle. Instead of the Word of God, convicting, correcting, training in righteousness, these false teachers allow things in the way they teach for you to not completely submit and yield to Christ. You see, there are churches and pastors who do not dress sin. They make you feel good about Jesus with all that stuff rather than the Word of God, which should convict. And if you're willing to hear the conviction, correct you and train you in righteousness. Verse 18, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality. And notice they all, what they also do. Look at uh, verse 18. He says, look, actually notice who this is that he's speaking of. He says, those, end of verse 18, who barely escape from the ones who live and err. That's who is being enticed. Now in context, we know earlier it's speaking of false teachers among you. But the people that are being enticed are unstable souls, but also they're described this way Those who barely escape from the ones who live in air Well, the ones who dwell in air that's a statement concerning those who are not saved That's their life. They live in the context of air. That's that's really it And they have barely escaped that through the knowledge of jesus christ. They're just barely there They've come to faith in jesus christ, but their walk is not much of a walk they, they've been forgiven, but they've barely escaped. Well, there will be false teachers among you who introduce, secretly introduce destructive heresies. Look in uh, chapter three here in Second Peter, chapter three, verse 17. He says, "You therefore, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard. be on your guard." lest being carried away by the air of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness. Yes, they attack those who are vulnerable, but any one of us can fall. Take heed, you who stand lest you fall. They entice unstable souls. They come to those who have barely escaped the ones who live in air. Barely escaped. False teachers go after weak Immature, sin-laden Christians. And guess what the biggest weakness in a Christian is? Pride. Pride. Whether it's spiritual pride, whatever it might be. They go after weak Christians. Brothers and sisters, this is a warning. Don't fiddle with sin. If you've got a worry problem, confess. If you've got an anger or irritation problem towards someone, confess it. Confess your sin and grow up in Jesus. Jesus so that you do not take him captive or taken captive by your own desires. Someone will come along because you're not going to be able to endure. You're going to want to hear something else that will tickle your ears. Now notice they speak expanded words of emptiness, luring by fleshy desires of sensuality, but also they promise, verse 19, spiritual freedom in the context in Christ. Look at verse 19. Promising them Freedom while they themselves are slaves to corruption. The contrast, which makes us understand what the freedom is, it's freedom from sin. Because the contrast is, they promise you freedom from sin, but they are slaves to it. They're slaves to it. Promising them freedom. They deceptively promise freedom in Christ Christ the what they teaching you it's going to make your walk with jesus wonderful you're going to be free from these areas of sin that you've been in bondage to they promise freedom through their methods uh whatever it might be promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves to corruption the term corruption means that which destroys they are slaves to sin Internally, they're slaves to sin and they are promising you freedom in Jesus. Remember earlier, we saw they have eyes full of adultery that never cease from sinning, verse 14. They have their own brand of sensuality, verse 2. They love the wages of unrighteousness, verse 15. They have hearts trained in greed, verse 14. They promise you freedom. They say the things that relate to freedom in Christ. But yet they are enslaved to sin. What they promise, they cannot deliver because they're empty words. They're molded words. Notice the middle of verse 19. For, what a man, for by what a man is overcome by this he's enslaved. The term overcome means conquered. They have been completely, the tense is completely conquered by sin, they are enslaved. They're not saved, as we're going to see. They are not free. And yet they promise freedom from sin in the name, as we will see, Jesus. But what they promise is not true. scary to see. We need to recognize there are men who don't teach God's word, rightly divided, and they bring their own empty words in the name of Jesus, luring by fleshly desires. They twist and omit the word of God, yet they promise freedom. They say biblical stuff. And God shares these things we need to recognize so that we stay away. They are springs without water. Their very nature is hypocrisy. They promise what they do not have. They're hypocrites. They promise freedom from sin. And they don't have freedom themselves. These are how we can spot these things. And we have no excuse at this point having heard the message. We can spot this. When it arises and it is given for our benefit so that we would not get taken captive and fall from our own steadfastness. But if you've got unconfessed sin, whether it's an attitude towards someone, worry, lack of contentment, unforgiveness, whatever it might be. Maybe you're sinfully neglecting the word of God and his people. Then you are in danger. Get your heart right with the Lord. Keep confessing sin, walking rightly with him. The next time you hear a message that appeals to your flesh or your ego, rather than the Spirit by the Spirit convicting you, correcting, training you, get out of there. It may be saying Jesus stuff and freedom in Jesus and forgiveness and all this stuff, but it's aimed at your flesh. And it doesn't feed you at all. It is a spring without water. So God has exposed their methods, springs without water. And lastly, God exposes their true state, What's really going on underneath? What has happened to these people? How they got to where they are and where they are going? Look at verse 20. For after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is an amazing statement, by the way. For if after they escape the defilements of the world by the word. Knowledge of the Lord and Jesus, Savior, excuse me, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are entangled again in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having to know it, than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb: a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to his returns to wallowing in the mire. Although they deceptively promise freedom with their words that are empty and large, the reality is they themselves have turned from Jesus. Four, if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and Are conquered or overcome the last state has become worse for them than the first this is a sobering statement it speaks of apostasy it speaks for turning away from the true knowledge of jesus christ not having been saved but turning away from that which could save you and becoming that much worse you see they have had the knowledge of the lord and savior jesus christ do you see that they know it They know the truth of the church. They know the truth. They have the knowledge of it. And they have appeared to escape to the finalists of the world. By the way, if you come here and you are not saved and you learn about Jesus, you learn about what he expects, and you do those things on your own, you will slightly escape the way you used to live. But it's all on the outside. It's on the outside. There are many people who come... To church and understand the truth of Jesus and are not saved and live differently because of the influence they hear in regards to Jesus. But it's not a genuine saving faith. They've appeared to escape the defilements, the sin that defiles non believers by the knowledge of Jesus. Yet when you see someone who actually comes to Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are forgiven, we are changed, we are delivered and transformed. But these who come to an understanding of Jesus but never trust him, they understand him as Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They follow a structure that resembles uh, those who have come to faith in Jesus. It makes it appear as though they've escaped the defilements of the world. There are people who, through the understanding, have a temporal restraint from sin, but they're not saved. But they know the truth. Some of you here today are like that. You have knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know he's Lord. You know he's the Savior. You know that he is the only Savior from sin. Yet you haven't trusted him. You're in a dangerous position. You're in a dangerous position. You need to turn to Christ and be forgiven of your sin. Humble yourself. Because as we're going to see here, these people, they understood, but they turned. They turned away from Jesus. He says, if this happens, and in the middle of verse 20, they are again entangled in them, and are overcome conquered their last state has become worse for them than the first you see if you're truly not saved you're going to get entangled in sin again now it may be covered it may be all internal like these false teachers theirs is all internal by the way you can't see it except for their methods right and if that happens your last state will be worse than your first What does he mean by that? Your first state when you weren't saved. You were culpable for your sins. And speaking of judgment. But once you know the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you don't come to him and you appear to as have come to him, you turn away from that. Your last state is much worse. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. You see, Jesus gives this example to the Jews who were idolaters before they were Exiled. They were idolaters. They were continually sinning. There was a remnant, but they were continually sinning, and God put them to Babylon, and then also also, to, he, he, he removed them. And then when they came back, guess what? When you look at them back in the land before Jesus came, they were no longer idolaters. They were pretty righteous, actually very self-righteous. They cleaned up the sin, but they didn't come to Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43. This is an illustration the Lord Jesus gives us. Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and it does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go and live there. And the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. This is the way it will be with this evil generation. And in principle, when you know the truth of Jesus Christ and you do not trust in Jesus Christ, your last state will be worse than your first state before you knew of him. It's a very serious thing. Notice what he says in verse 21. We have an explanation back in 2 Peter 2. 4. It would have been better for them not to know the way of righteousness. The way of righteousness. How is one righteous? We receive righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, and they understood that. And through faith in Jesus Christ, we are enabled to walk in a righteous way when we trust in him, and his word abides in us. We're able to do so. They knew the way of righteousness. It would have been better if they never known that than having known it, and then look at to apostatized, to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. They had the knowledge of the way of righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and they turned away from the holy commandment delivered to them. The holy commandment speaks of God's word. We don't know exactly which portion he's speaking of here, but I believe it certainly speaks of the gospel in relationship to them. And it was delivered to them. They had the word of God, and you've had that here. You've had it delivered. You've heard the holy commandment, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ the faith once for all delivered to all the saints. So ultimately they turned away in their hearts, these false teachers, not externally, because they're pretending to follow Jesus. In their hearts, they turned away from God's word, which was delivered to them, that which brought them knowledge of Jesus as Lord and Savior and the way of righteousness, the way of righteousness. Coming to church and not being saved should make you feel more and more convicted each week of your sin, not better and better about yourself. Two last passages I want to look at. I'll turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. In the church that the Hebrews were involved, they had those in there who were naming the name of Christ but really hadn't come to faith. And there are warnings throughout the book that they need to turn and, and trust the Lord because it might be too late if you don't, if you turn away. You may not be able to turn back. If you've known the truth and you turn away from the truth, you're in deep trouble. You're in deep spiritual trouble. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. Now they didn't receive the Spirit internally. They didn't get saved. But they've the Word of God has convicted them. They've partaken of that. And have tasted the good Word of God and the powers of the age to come. They've seen true believers in the body of Christ and then have what? Fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him in open shame. For the ground that drinks rain, which often falls upon it and brings forth vegetation, is useful for those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and is close to being cursed and it ends up being burned. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking this way. If you know the truth and you turn away from it, you are in a dangerous place where you may never be able to come back. Only the Lord knows that. Turn one last passage, Hebrews chapter 10. He talks about that we should not be forsaking our assembling together. If If we're not wanting to be around one another, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Verse 25, Hebrews 10, not forsaking or assembling together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Four, verse 26, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. If you know the truth and you just go willfully and sin willy-nilly and you don't care, there's, that sacrifice that was for you really wasn't because you never trusted in Christ. He says there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and a fury which will consume the adversaries.
1: Anyone who has set
0: aside the law of Moses dies without mercy in the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer must the word punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and insulted the Spirit of grace? You turn away from Jesus, you know the truth how much severe punishment. He says, for we know him who said vengeance is mine I will repay and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Your first state, your last state will be worse than the first. These false teachers have turned away from Jesus and they now use Jesus as a means to fulfill their own greed. They use the church and notice this final portion. There's an illustration. Peter shares a proverb and a truism. Verse 22. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb back in the Second Peter 3, 2. Excuse me. A dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to walling in the mire. We have a quote of Proverbs 26:11. It happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit. Now, I love my dog, but he is an animal. And I walked in one day and he had thrown up and he was eating it. Right? These are those who appeared to be delivered from sin, but they really weren't. And they returned to that wickedness and their judgment is much worse. Much worse. And notice this truism a sow after washing returns to walling the mire by the nature of the animal it is it just goes back to the mud you see and by the nature of someone who truly hasn't come to faith when they get cleaned up they go back to it but with these false teachers it's hidden it's all on the inside but you can see their methods forsaking the right way they have gone astray so how can we be protected from those false teachers who will inevitably rise in the church? Whether it's in churches, whether it's on the radio, whether it's on TV, how can we be protected? First of all, we need to listen to what God has said. We need to understand what he says about them internally. Then we need to understand their methods. They are springs without water. And lastly, we need to be on our guard. We need to be on our guard. I want to close turn to the last verses of second Peter 3 I want to close with this second Peter 3:15 in regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation he's saying basically since God hasn't zapped everybody with judgment regard that as he's still saving people he's patient right just as our beloved brother Paul according to the wisdom given to him wrote to you verse verse uh, 16 as also in all his letters, speaking in them of things which in some things are hard to understand, which, notice what he says here, the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. They take the word of God, they twist it, they distort it. And he says, you therefore, and this is to all of us, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, you all know this now, right? Right? beforehand he says he says uh, be on your guard lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men you fall from your own steadfastness but grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord savior jesus christ to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity amen let's pray father i thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us and that through Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. And Father, I thank you that it is your desire for us to grow in the grace and knowledge of your son, Jesus. And you have given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. Father, we have seen through your word the threats to our walk with Jesus. I pray that we would be on guard, lest we be taken by the error of unprincipled men and fall from our own steadfastness lord may we understand what these people do and how they do it and may we run away from it father i pray for anyone here who is like these false teachers yet in their hearts who has known the truth concerning your son the lord and savior jesus christ i pray that they would not turn away that they would turn to and cry out for forgiveness of sins. Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead. And you paid the price. And Lord, I pray for those of us who know you, that we would not be unduly focused, but that we would be on guard. That our walk with Jesus would not be impinged by sin. Lord, thank you for your word. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.